guys, welcome to the Arsenio Buck Perspective. Oh my god, this is going to be a really, really good one. Again, right now we are live. So for anyone who is listening to this on the podcast and whatnot, thank you so much. Again, if you guys are interested in the live versions of these types of podcasts, which today is the first debut, you guys can check out my podcast, The Arsenio Buck Perspective. Jen! Metro, ladies and gentlemen, JoJo, also named JoJo. Y'all can just call her JoJo in the comment section. She is one of my very own African-American people, man. The synergy's going to be popping off today. But today is going to be some serious talk. So for everyone out there, man, I just want to say thank you so much for, again, tuning in and whatnot. And JoJo, it's time for you to take it, Okay. Tell the world who you are. Well, thank you, Arsenio, for having me. And what you don't know is inadvertently, I talk about you on my show because I always say, y'all remember, Arsenio, the things that make you go, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you for being a part of my show. So my name is Yamitra <clears throat> Jojo Waddell, the only Live Past Crazy Specialist. So what better place to be than here with me? And I am the host of the Fearless Morning Show. And every morning we talk about, we have confessions and conversations on studio on how to live past crazy and what that looks like and what our journey is going to be and how we just going to kick behind to make that happen. Wow. And, you know, I'm just, I'm very grateful because the reason how we actually met JoJo is, you know, you sending me an email and yes. because of, I don't know what happened, normally with these situations, there was another TEDx speaker who had sent me an email, and I was looking up some ridiculous receipt in my junk email. So then <laughs> I checked my junk email again, and there you were this time. And I'm like, I'm checking my junk email every damn week. And so, That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because in the junk email are nuggets. You know what I mean? So, yes. Yes. I'm just blessed you reached out to me and this is good you know what we had our pre-talk and I was just shocked by some of the things you were saying uh, but also how you ended up coming about and building up this significant community of giving back and helping people who have actually been through the same thing and that's what it's all about Jojo yes. is the fact that I've been through hell out here in Thailand but it also has created a human being who is dominating the English language learning realm, who is dominating so many other different sub-skills and whatnot. So I am absolutely grateful for everything that has happened to me. And so now it's time for the world to understand your story. Like, damn, there's a lot. I just, I, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, boy, I'm telling you, people, people gonna be like, God damn. And so, <laughs> So we got some things that we need to discuss. So uh, Jojo, you just take us where you want to take us. You start from the beginning, we go from there. All right. So first of all, Senator, you are the most entertaining podcast I have done. Uh, I love your energy. So thank you. Um, Absolutely. And, and so I'm excited. So let's. I, I like to take people on a little journey on why I I'm the only live past crazy specialist. Why I know crazy. Uh, hey, Miss Lakemore, 
uh, Miss Lake is uh, one of the viewers of the Fearless Morning Show. And if y'all have any questions, please stop me anywhere in between. I don't mind asking any questions. So um, just I'll give you a, a brief synopsis and then we you can ask questions how, however you feel. Um, I got married when I got married at 25 to uh, the pastor of, of my church who um, happened to be 51 at the time and how we met was insane. My mother actually introduced us offhandedly. She was like, hey, there's someone at our church that I would love for you to meet. And when we met, uh, we hit it off. And within three months after our first date, we were absolutely married. Like I had a rock on my hand and I was we was living in his house and all of a sudden I was, I was the first lady of the church I grew up in. Like, how crazy is that? So the ladies, uh, and I call them my sweet sisters, the ladies of the church uh, who taught me everything that I knew about religion was now testing everything I knew about religion because they wouldn't necessarily talking to me and they wouldn't necessarily being friendly and saying, oh, this is this, they stopped coming to church. They stopped attending church. And I was like, what, what am I supposed to do? So my family had kind of disowned me because they was like, you shouldn't marry him. And if, you know, I'm from the South, a good Southern family. And they was like, if you have a church wedding, I'm going to blow up the church. We're going to burn it down. You don't need to be marrying this man. <laughs> Damn. And I'm married <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so... We got married. We got married in September. In December, we were we had moved 334 miles away to the next city the day before Christmas. The day before Christmas, it was pouring rain and no one came to say goodbye to me. Not my mother, not my sister, no one. We had his pat, what we call a pastor steward, his pat, the you know, the guy in the church came, helped load up the car and that was it. And wow. We and, and I left and I had a five-year-old and I haven't looked back. I, and I have not moved back home since that day. Now, there have been trials and tribulations along that journey, but I haven't moved back home since that day. So it has been wow. insane. I'll stop there in case anybody got any questions. I can't see the comments that pop up. So you have yeah, to let me know. Yes, there's a lot of interested people and this is the next phase because West Green over here clowning. You know what I'm saying? Like big shout to Big West Green. But he said they were right though. And then he put yes. the, the, the laughing. So this is the next phase. And you know what you hey Jojo, I'm gonna be honest with you. Mm -hmm. You you this sounds like a horror story. Like yeah. Jojo like everyone was very apprehensive yes. with you like getting married to begin with and then after you got married you picked up and you left to a place where you were unreachable yes. i would have been scared shitless like hold on where are we going yeah okay, so oh, i was scared yeah, i was scared i i, I, I would have been like oh hell no go where i ain't going nowhere but, yes. well, and you went to another place that sounds like jason Voorhees of the 80s started and, and Wesley is right. Wesley is actually my oldest daughter's godfather. So hey Wesley. 
and and he <laughs> and he was right. My my family was right, but the more the more you you try, you know, you, you're going through that and then your family, it's like you shouldn't do it and you're trying to prove they're wrong. So it puts you in a hell of a place. And here I am now, understand when I moved, I saw my family twice in two years. I saw them twice only in two years. Um, and so I moved and that's when the abuse got worse. Um, so I'm a, I'm a first time first lady, of course. I know nothing about being a preacher's wife and I have a five-year-old daughter at the time. And so when we get to the next city, um, he doesn't have a job. Uh, he's been a pastor his whole life. And so his, he told me it was my job to get a job and work. And it was his job to take care of the house of the Lord. So he didn't work. So from 10 to three, he went to the local YMCA and he worked out and he networked and met people. And I was to go to work and make the money and come home. Now I'm sitting there with that. I wasn't allowed, I was allowed $3 out of my paycheck every two weeks. I, I didn't have, I didn't get any money. So that $3, now mind you from my house, I had to drive, I worked um, in, it's in a Raleigh area called RTP. So I was driving almost 15 miles to work and back home with $3 worth of gas. So, and I only went to work. And here's the thing, I only went to work when he told me to. So if he woke up and said, hey, Jojo, oh, he didn't call, he hates the name Jojo. He'd say, Yan Mitra, you're not going to work today. And so if I didn't go to work, he would say, but your check has got to be the same amount as it would be if you worked a your full week. And so what am I supposed to do? Or he would say, you can't drive the car today. I had my car, he had a car. He's like, you can't. And when my car broke down, I was like, can you take me to work? No. Well, can I have some money for a cab? No. Can I have money for the bus? No. Can I call the lady that lives down the street who can take me? No. How am I supposed to go? He's like, I don't know, but you can't stay here. You have to go to work. You got to get out of this house. <laughs> So that was my, and here's the thing, when people are on this journey and we've all been there like, sis, that ain't none of my business. Like, who am I to be in married people's business? Let, let I don't want to say anything, but it is your business because you have got to, it is your business because someone else's life is on the line. Forget the legal stuff because it is illegal for you to see abuse and not report it. That is illegal. But I remember we lived in a duplex and I walked out of the door and going to work was my happy time because I, I got to go to work and be away from him. And he was and I made it to the front door. We've been arguing all night and I made it to the front door and I had on some, you know, the sliding shoes. And I opened up the door, opened up the screen door and I'm walking out and he said, you're not going to work. And he jerked me by the back of my shirt and he jerked me so hard. He jerked me out of my shoes and I was grabbing on to the edge of the door. And as I'm grabbing on to the edge of the door, I said, you know, there is my next door neighbor who we're in a duplex. So we're door to door. She's smoking her cigarette. She is having her cup of coffee. And she looked at me and turned her head as he slammed the door. And she didn't say a word. She didn't call the police. She heard me screaming. She heard me yelling. The next day she said, good morning. Morning. How you doing? Audacity. Y'all have a, on Sundays, y'all have a safe, y'all have a good service. <laughs> yeah. So she heard it. 
And so that was one of, and I'm like, yeah, you don't see me in here dying and begging for help. And nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to say anything. So we, we get married, we move there, the abuse happens and it gets, you know, it gets worse. So I went to work when he told me to, I used the bathroom when he told me to, I ate when he told me to, I went to sleep and he was, what's the word you want to say? Narcissist that mm -hmm. I used the bathroom one time. I'm a girl. Your mother teaches you don't sit on the toilet. Well, and this is maybe TMI, but this is how crazy it was. I hate sitting on a cold toilet. So I put my hand under my legs and he came in the bathroom. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, I had to pee. And he was like, but why are you peeing like that? And I was like, I don't like sitting on the, on a cold toilet. And he said, after he hit me, don't ever sit on the toilet like that again. So from that day on, I had to leave the door open so that he could see me use the bathroom the way he wanted me to use the bathroom. The shower was the only place I was allowed to go by myself. It was the only place that I was allowed to go and he did not um, interrupt my time or he didn't come in. He may say, you've been in there too long, but he wouldn't come in there while I was in the shower. So it was... It was it was insane. And that's the light part of it. I'll, I'll pause here to see if anybody has any questions, because I can't I can't see the comments here. Right, so. right, 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 right. Yeah, they're, they're just commenting on the situation and, okay. you know, the location where all this had taken place. I just that's that. And, you know, we're that's a, that's a new kind of evil. And we're not even into like the dreadful evil. Yeah. Uh, you know, him is, I want to go back to the woman, because I think this is a problem in society. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, kind of like what's happening in Japan right now. The mm -hmm. the teachers they take the side of the bullies rather than taking the side of the people who are being bullied. Absolutely, so, yes. I've seen this out here in Thailand. I've seen a Thai man grab a lady by her hair and swing her around like a rag doll all over the pavement. There were mm -hmm. ten people watching. No one did anything. Mm -hmm. I had to butt in between someone getting killed from her father because her father didn't like the man she was she had been married to for for 40 years and i was the only one that got in and then teachers at some of the nearby schools were like no don't butt in no their family let them kill each other that type of mindset reminds yeah. me of that porch asshole that just looked away did she do that because she knew he was a preacher or did she no do idea. that because i don't and know so and, and this is the whole speaking up thing and just defending against, you got to defend against what's right in humanity. I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to get my nose into that. That's none of my business. No, it's, it's your business because you're a human being. You have feelings and you have a family and yeah. you were born into a family. And in that family, you were, you were able to see, you know, you were treated, I'm hoping, with respect. Okay. Yes. So when you see that happening to someone else, you could have at least said something. This is why so many mass shootings happen in America. So, you know, because everyone just wants to stay quiet. The boy said he was going to shoot up the school. Let's just stay quiet. He comes to school the next day and everybody dead. So yep. going back to your story, Justin, um, this was, what was this like just the beginning? I mean, obviously it had gotten much worse going into it. Yes. So it got, it got much worse. So, we uh, it, it escalated uh, very it, extremely quickly. So um, 
<laughs> hey Tiffany, I saw that comment. Tiffany's my best friend. Yeah. She's my college college friend. Uh, it escalated so quickly that even if I couldn't comprehend it, like you're like, is this really happening to me? Like, is this really me? And you and you got to remember, I haven't talked to any family members. I haven't. They don't even know where I am. They know the city I am. They don't know where I am in this city, and so they know they know absolutely nothing. And so I had a five year old who, at the time, um, you know, he was like, "She's just a bad kid. She doesn't belong in our family unit." So she stayed locked up in her room for the entire two years. She came out on Sundays. Of course, she went to school. Uh, she went to daycare and kindergarten. Uh, but to see my child, and, and you're like, Jojo, how could you do that as a parent? What I was thinking, at least he's not beating on her. I had no one to call. I had no, I had nothing, like there was nothing that I had to myself. And then an abuser, before they ever put their hands on you, they have control over your mind. So even though I was at work, I was too scared to call them at work. I said, now I had a full miscarriage at work. I was pregnant, had a miscarriage at work. I kept calling him at the local YMCA they couldn't find him so i called another preacher friend called his wife and they were coming to get me so he came to pick me up finally and he cussed me all the way to the hospital and told me i should have never called anybody else other than him to come pick me up i was like i was having a miscarriage and i didn't know and so he finally took me to the hospital and you know the doctor said well you know there's your body has already done. There's nothing for me to do. They gave me some medicine. You know, they left us in the room. He said, had you not been a whore, we would have children. Like, it is your, you are the sole reason. You, you know, you're a whore, you're a prostitute. You're the reason why we can't have kids. And then <laughs> he took me home and the doctor was like, hey, you need to keep, you know, stay out of work a couple of days. No, I had to go back to work the next day. He was like, Who, who's going to make the money to pay the bills? Who, who's going to? Who's going to do that part? So then we go on further. I get pregnant again. So by this time, I've been pushed out the moving car. He has pushed me out the bed and kicked me under the bed. Um, he has done all the things. And so have another baby. I go into premature labor. So the baby comes almost two months early. She is uh, only one pound. Well, she's in ICU and like we talked earlier the nurse I, after I have the baby before I even have the baby my blood pressure is so high I can't see here out my left side I can't move it they're afraid I'm they was like either you're gonna have a brain aneurysm or you're gonna have a heart attack or you're gonna do both you're not going to survive having this baby and he had to make a decision I couldn't even talk uh, and they was like you have to make a decision do you want your wife to live or do you want your baby to live? I am on so much medication, I can't speak. And he says, she would want me to take care of the baby. So do all you can to save the baby's life. And he signed the papers and everything. And I'm sitting there, tears are running down my eyes because I, I can't speak. I'm on so much. So we have the baby. And the doctor's like, you know what? You can't hold her anymore. They induce labor. He was like, we've got to do something. And so um, had the baby and she was born. I, I don't get to see her for two weeks after she's born. 
at all because that's how sick I am. So after I come out and I was like, how's the baby? He's like, fine. And I don't feel right. So I tell him, I was like, I don't feel right. I think you really need to call the nurse or the doctor. The nurse comes in and this is where it looks like something off of ER. She comes in, she starts screaming. And I'm only 5'2". The nurse had to be like 4'9", 4'10". She's on a step stool on my bed and she was like, I'm going to try to control your bleed. I was like, what is going on? I looked down, her feet is covered in my blood. And the doctor comes in and he was like, we, you know, he's screaming. And I'm like, what is going on? And he was like, hey, you know, you got to say any last words to your wife, because I don't think she's going to make it out of this surgery. And I'm scared. Again, I haven't seen my family. They don't, they don't even know I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even know I'm having a baby. And he leans over and he said, I hope you die, you be. And he kisses me on my forehead as the nurse is in between. She She's holding on to my knees with one hand and she has my uterus with the other. The doctors, they're literally running me down the hallway. And I tell people, it's, you think about that, like how on TV they get the lights to do that as you're, because I was passing out and I was coming in and out and you just see the lights. And I remember being in the operating room and they saying, we can't give her any more medication because she's on too much. Now, if we give her anything else, that's going to kill her, let alone the surgery. We're gonna, I don't even know to this day what surgery they did. I have no clue. And apparently I started crying and the doctor's like, well, we just don't have to take that chance. And they said, ma'am, count to three. And that's all I remember until I wake up six hours later um, with the nurse telling me, you know, it's going to be okay. And from there, I said, you know, we went home and I refused a blood transfusion. I was too scared to get one. It was like, okay, but you lost so much blood. It's going to take you months to get back to your normal self, right? So, okay, we go home. The baby stays in the, in the hospital in NICU. So we go home after two and a half weeks in the hospital. And it was like, you can't go back to work. I would literally walk to the kitchen and I would be so tired. And he was like, well, when are you going back to work? I was like, I can't work. He was like, you, you have to work because who's going to pay the bills? So a friend of mine gets me a job. A former church member gets me a job. And I'm working at NC State. And so she gets me a job. And on my first day, I see him coming. So anything, if you know anything about abusers, you know, to be on top of whatever it is that they need. So I see him coming and I go grab my purse and I get in the car. And um, by this time, this is about 30 days. So the baby is at home with us. So he has uh, the baby in the carrier, right? He comes in, he says hello to everyone. And I get in the car, the baby's in the back seat. And he says, um, you like embarrassing me, don't you? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? He said, I saw you go down the hallway. I was like, I went to go get my purse because I saw you coming. <clears throat> he was like, no, you wanted me to wait and you wanted to embarrass me for me waiting on you. And I was like, no, I went to go get my purse and he wore um, a pinky ring right here and he wore a ring right here. And he was like, you're going to get enough embarrassing me. And as he's driving, he hits me across the face. And I was like, I wasn't, I just went to go get my purse. He's like, stop lying. And he hits me again and he chops me in my throat. And then he, I was like, I didn't do it. We're at a red light and he hits me again in my chest. 
And by this time, we are right there um, at, at the corner of NC State and as a, as a women's college there, I'll never forget. And there's an, a, a building, an abandoned building. He pulls in behind the abandoned building and takes my head and just slams it into the window and says, you're going to stop lying to me. And he just keeps slamming my head into the window. We finally make it home in, in silence. And he was like, you better not cry. So we get home in silence. He gets the baby out. And it remind me to come back to the baby situation. So we get the baby out. And in our house is, is a chase lounge and a, you know, a couch. And we still living in a duplex. So he sits the baby on the chase lounge, still in her car seat. She only weighs four pounds. She came home only weighing four pounds. And he was like, you just, you really think this is funny, don't you? And I was like, no, this is not funny. He then grabs me by the center of my hair and drags me down the hallway. Uh, he pulled out handfuls of my hair, drags me down the hallway, throws me on the bed, sits down on top of me and chokes me until I pass out. Now, when I come to, I come to, to the sound of heavy breathing. I don't know if it's me, if it's him. And I look around and he is standing against the wall, you know, breathing heavy. And I'm looking like, what, what happened? And he said, you should thank God that he saved your life today because I was going to kill you uh, for laughing and having people talk about me like that. You may, you think it's a joke because you married me because I'm old and I'm fat. Well, I'm going to show you. And he had ripped my earrings out. He had broke my necklace. And so then <laughs> he said, we need to pray. Let's go before the Lord naked and let's pray. So he made me take off all my clothes as we got down on our knees and prayed to God that I would be a better wife so that he wouldn't have to do these things to me. <laughs> Asenio, I know crazy, man. I know crazy. It's, I know it, crazy. It, it, honestly, Jojo, it sounds like he was seeing a completely different reality. Yes. You weren't laughing. What was he seeing through his own eyes? Something was completely demented, obviously, from yes. all the comments that you know everyone is hearing right now. Yes. Um, it, it just sounds like a damn movie. Like, for <laughs> someone to do that, this has to be beyond enragement. This has to be... He was seeing a completely different reality. He yeah. was probably seeing someone who had abused him the same way. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, maybe these are feelings that were kind of resurrected somehow, and he mm -hmm. was doing it to you because that's probably what happened to him. That's the only thing, that's the only other way I can explain. That and, and so, then I think he being insecure. Uh, well, yeah, maybe because he was embarrassed and humiliated while he was a child by his own parents, too. This all mm -hmm. has to go back down the, fa the family tree. Absolutely. I mean, Oh, yeah. So you told me to go back to the baby situation. What was the baby situation? So the baby situation. <laughs> oh, the baby situation. So I wanted, the nurses said the best way to take care of your baby is to breastfeed. So the nurse comes in and, and shows me how to breastfeed. After she leaves, he is like, don't you ever force my child to take your breast again. And so when I get home, I get a black eye because I allowed the nurse to allow the baby to nurse on me. He was like, she didn't want it, so don't force her. 
And so the day the baby was supposed to come home, he made me stay up all night because he said staying up late built character. So he watched me as I put her crib to bed. He didn't help. He was like, you're smart. You can you can put it together. So I put a crib together and then I had to go stay with her at the hospital overnight. And we brought her home. And so here was the rules. And everyone who's ever been abused <clears throat> know that there's rules. Here was the rules. I was not, unless I was in his presence, I couldn't hold her. I couldn't touch her. I wasn't changing her. I wasn't feeding her. Uh, I had no interaction with this child at all from birth until she was a little over three months old because he said it was my job. He didn't want me to get attached to the baby and she didn't want her to get attached to me because he was going to kill me because he was going to marry somebody else. And later on down the line, he told me it was my job to get ready to train the new wife he was going to have and all the things that he liked. So there was no need for me to like the baby because he, he was going to kill me. So in the middle of all of that, Arsenio, we moved again an hour and 30 minutes away. So now I'm almost 500 miles away from my family and they don't know I moved. They have no idea where I am. And exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, and this is a man who on Sundays, you know, he would punch me in the eye in, his, in the church office or he would choke me in the church office because my outfit wasn't enough. I didn't iron his shirt the right way. His collar wasn't sitting the right way. And and I'd have to go out and church and face the church. And because he would say to my lovely wife, young Mitra, who I owe everything, she is the love of my life. And without her, I, I could be nothing without her and my children. And mm. all the ladies of the church pat me on the back and saying, you have the most amazing husband in the entire oh. world. <laughs> like, oh. we love him so. And I'm having to deal with that. And then on the ride home, He's calling me, so I think I picked up um, OCD habits because he would literally keep me in a room with him for eight hours. So if I wasn't allowed to go to work, I had to sit with him for eight hours. And during those eight hours, he would tell me, you're fat, you're ugly, never going to be nothing. Your mama don't love you. Your daddy don't want you. Your kids don't love you. And I would have to repeat back everything he said. So he would say it and I'd have to repeat it. Wow, an affirmation. Holy yes. shit. And so I would start counting ceiling tiles. I do this to this day. If someone talks too much to me and I feel like I can't pay attention, I'll start counting ceiling tiles. I will count by 13. I would do anything under the sun not to listen to him to try to absorb the words he was saying. Um, but he was, he was a little crazy. So we ended up going to counseling. So uh, I, I left one time. I left right before my birthday. This was in June, 2004. I left before my birthday and I went to some former church members I, because I had, I'd had enough of like, I, the, it was just so much. And I found, I ran away. I left kids and everything. I walked out the front door. He let me go to the bathroom. This, we had been arguing all day. I was holding a baby. He had took my head and smashed it into the brick wall inside our home. And I couldn't take it anymore. He let me go to the bathroom by myself. And I walked out the front door and I went to the local hospital. I found the local hospital to check myself in. They was like, you cannot call your husband. And then the, the guy said, and he was like, she's going to call him because all victims do that. They, they always call their husbands and tell them where they are. 
And I did. I called him after I went to sleep. That was the best sleep in the entire world. But then I woke up and I realized, I, what am I going to do without the kids? So I told them the police showed up and the law says whoever has the child at the time keeps the child. So they could give me my oldest one, but the baby he had to keep because he was physically holding the baby. So I left with the oldest and I stayed gone for a day and a half. And he, he was like, I promise I'm not going to hit you anymore. Just come home. I was like, you got to go to counseling. You got to do something. We've got to make this, you know, how are we going to make this work? So we agreed to go to counseling. <laughs> and here's the, here's the crazy part. Counseling with the police. Yes. <laughs> here's the crazy part. We go to counseling. And here's the rules for counseling. I'm not allowed to talk during counseling. So the lady in my medical record told me that I was mentally retarded and incapable of taking care of myself and my family, and I should be committed to the closest group home to learn life skills. And here, now understand, she interviewed, she talked to us separately and together, and I never said a word to her. And he did all the talking while we were in there. And so... When I, when I left and came back, you know, social services comes into your home and he was like, if you don't, if you tell them the truth, they're going to say, um, they're going to take your children away from us. So you got to tell them that you lied. So I had to tell the caseworker, I was like, I lied. He's like, why would you lie on a man of God like that? Like, why would you do that? So I, cause I was so afraid they were going to take the kids. So the guy leaves and after he leaves, he says, I want you to fix my favorite meal. I was like, okay, sure. I fix his meal and it is Salisbury steak with peppers and onions. He comes into the kitchen and he says, what are you doing? I was like, I'm, you asked me to cook your meal. He puts the picks up the pan. He said, you cooked the peppers and onions first. I like to cook the meat first and then add the peppers and onions. I was like, but I'm going to add, you know, all together. He threw the entire pan in the trash told me to cook the meal again. I couldn't use what I had and I couldn't get the pan out of the trash and he wanted his dinner in an hour. So we know how that ended, arguing, fighting again. So we were at that home. I was at that home for two months and that's why I tried to commit suicide. So before I committed suicide or tried to, he had, he had raped me in front of the baby. So we had been arguing all day. He took, he takes me in the room. He sets the baby down. She's in a carrier. He ties me up and throws me across the bed. And he has his way with me in front of the baby. And I'm just laying there thinking, I hope you never remember any of this in your whole life. I hope you never remember any of this. So when he's done, I was like, can I please go take a shower? He said, no, you, you can't go take a shower. He picks up the phone, I said, yo. He calls our counselor. And he says, my wife has just had a mental breakdown and I'm afraid for my children and myself that she's going to kill us. I need to have her committed tonight. We've got to find some place for her to go because she cannot stay in our home. And because it was the weekend, she didn't have the rights to have me committed to a mental hospital over the weekend. That was the only thing that saved me from being in a mental hospital. So after that, he let me take a bath and 
after he took a shower, I was standing in front of the window. I was like, I'm going to jump out of this window. And it was concrete because it was a split level home and the driveway was right there. I was like, anything is better than taking this. And I had just had the windows open the day before. Earlier that morning, the windows had been open. The windows of Senior were not locked. I could not physically open the window. I'm a tomboy. I'm a strong girl. I couldn't get the windows open. I tried his side. I could not get the windows open. I was like, God, I can't even kill myself. Like, you want to let this man kill me? I can't even do it myself because I don't even want to give him that privilege, you know? And so I couldn't get the windows open. Finally, he goes to sleep um, because he has sleep apnea. So if he doesn't take medicine, he won't go to sleep. So he finally goes to sleep. The phone rings at 6.30 a.m. the next morning, July 26th, the phone rings. I never answer the phone by myself. I never answer the phone, period. If I answer the phone, he's on the other end. I never talk to anyone by myself. So he uh, he's asleep. I answer the phone. It's a former church member. And I tell her what's happening. And she says, I'm, and she would be the equivalent of Arsenio in woman form. She said, I'm not getting off of this blankety blank phone until you blankety blank get out the blankety blank house. And I was like, I can't. Because if I open up the door, it's going to say door open. He's going to wake up. He may be a big man, but he moves very fast. Now, we're on a split level. Again, the oldest is not even allowed to sleep on the same level we're on. So she's on the bottom level. We're on the top level. And she was like, just leave. So I, I change into jeans and a T-shirt. I tell the oldest to grab her favorite toy. I grab three bottles and some diapers. I can't find my car keys because he keeps them. You know where I found the car keys? In his recliner, upside down, inside the little pocket of the recliner, un under the chair. That's where I found my car keys. So I find the car keys <laughs> and I stand at that door for 30 minutes and I am crying. Like, I can't, I can't do this. And she was like, you've got to do it. And so I told the oldest, I'm holding her hand and I got a three-month-old in the other hand and I was like and when I open this door I want you to just take off run I said whatever you do not turn back you don't come and help me you just keep running and you don't stop running until you find someone she's seven she was like okay mommy and and during this time you gotta understand even she's not even allowed to live on our level I'm not even allowed to talk to her I'm not allowed to hold her I'm not allowed to have any interaction with my child at all. And I'm thinking that's the best thing because I don't want her to have any, you know, to see anything that he's doing and I don't want him hitting on her. So she, we open up the front door. I have all of this in my hand and the phone that I'm on the phone with. We run to the car. I literally throw the baby in the back seat <laughs> and we hop in the car and we take off. I am driving a red um, neon. The front wheel falls off if you do over 50 miles an hour. There's no tag, no registration, there's no insurance, and there's no gas. And I have no money because he 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 holds all the bank cards. I have no money. I have no cash. I make it a mile and a half, and the state trooper pulls me over. And I am hysterical. He was like, ma'am, you cannot drive this car. You don't, it's not even legal. So I tell him what's going on. He was like, okay you know, just get to safety, ma'am. And he lets me go. That $3, because that call only held $3 worth of gas, took me an hour and a half away to the next city where I checked myself into a shelter. 
Now, you would think life would be easy. No, <laughs> he reported me, he, he reported that I had kidnapped the children. He involved the FBI. He said I had kidnapped the kids. I had to prove to the FBI. I had to prove to the local police station in both cities that I did not do that. He told them that I was a drug addict and I'd run away with my drug dealer boyfriend. He told them that my children had been sexually molested. They had to have exams at that age because of what he told them. He tried to have me kicked out of the church the day I left. So I, I check into the shelter. I, I don't know what to do. I have a new, I have a preemie who needs special milk and I have nothing for her. I go to the bank. Okay. Cause we have a joint account. I have my ID. Let me get some money out the bank, right? He had cleaned out the checking and the savings account. There was no money. <laughs> there was nothing at all. So um, by the grace of God, I depended on people to give me everything, like from underwear to toothpaste to toothbrush to a comb, a brush. I had to depend on other people to give me all of that because I had none of it. Um, and I went on to, of course, press charges press charges against him. Um, he didn't show up for court the first time. I was a nervous wreck the first time. I cried. Uh, I did everything. I just knew he was going to show up at that courthouse and kill me. Um, and he didn't, but he did find me. After I went to counseling, I did all the things everybody told me to do. He still found me, Arsenio. He still found me on because the, the girls are two days apart. And the oldest was like, hey, can I ride my bike? It was her birthday. I said, sure. She walks out the front door and on my door is a sign that says, happy birthday girls from daddy. And I am paranoid. I'm just, I don't even know what to do because, you know, at this time I've told all my neighbors, here's my signal. If you see this happening, please call the police immediately. I called the police and they said, there's nothing they can do because he has unsupervised restraining order, which means they don't have to even watch where he is. They don't even have to keep up with where he is. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so, so American. Y'all got is there any questions? I don't I can't see the comments. You, you know, um I, I everyone's just listening right now. We have quite a few listeners right now. Uh, there is one, there is one, but I want you to finish up your story and then we're gonna go into phase two, which is the 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 official new version okay. of you after 2004 so you okay. finish it up and then i'm going to give you that question okay so um i end up um and here here's the crazy thing too i i end up trying to find an attorney that will help me right no attorney will help me at all because they say he's crazy after i tell them everything has happened and I have paperwork for days. I have a box of paperwork of everything that has happened from him, you know, dating. And one thing that I, that I that I left out now, this is how crazy he really was. His mother had left him some money um, right after she died. She had left him a life insurance, twenty five thousand dollars. And that's what we used to move. And he said, you know what? I think you married me because of my money. I want my $25,000 back. And I said, I don't, I don't have $25,000. What are you talking about? He said, I want my money back. And so this happened before I left. And he said, I tell you what, you're going to make my $25,000 back. I was like, well, how am I going to do that? He went and bought me a skirt, some fishnet pantyhose, a top. To he, said, 
he said, we're going over here to the, to the, cause we were in uh, the city that had the uh, army base. He said, we're going to the army base and you are going to perform whatever you have to perform until you make my $25,000 back. You're not coming home till I get my $25,000 back. And I was like, are you kidding me? And I ain't going to say, thank God, but thank God somebody died at the church and he could not take me out that night. That's the only, like he had bought the outfit and he was ready to go pimp me out to make his $25,000 back. So I tried to find an attorney. So after I tell an attorney all of these things, no attorney wants to help me at all. They just, they don't want no part of me. So I finally find one attorney, right? Who would help me. And I paid him $500. I was making $12.26 in an hour at IBM. I didn't, like, I wasn't eating so the kids could eat. Half the time, I didn't go to work because I didn't have gas. I, I mean, times was hard. So for me to give him $500, I said, please cash this check right now. Like, I've saved up. Please cash this check now. He waited a, almost a month before he cashed the check. Of course, the check bounced. He sent me letters. I said, I forgot. I had... It was just too much other stuff. I was like, oh, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. So the police showed up at my front door and arrested me for writing a bad check. I had to go. I went to jail. I didn't just go down to the police station and get it cleared up. No, I had the mugshot, fingerprint, orange jumpsuit in lockdown with the mat and a bag of clothes spent 24 hours. No, almost 29 hours in jail. Sure did. So when I got out, I still don't have an attorney to represent me. <laughs> I've been in jail and I was like, you know what, Jojo, you're not so, you, you have two undergraduate degrees. Let's focus on what you can do. And that is when I began to learn the laws of North Carolina. And I read, and IBM, thank you, because I'm a fast typer. I would do all of their work early in the morning and I would be done by 11. And so from 11 to five, all I did was read law books and learn the rules and the laws. And so when we went back to court the second time because he had violated the order, I represented myself. I, and I was so excited to do that. I hate that I had to get to that point to do it, but I ended up representing myself and winning the case, thankfully, without an attorney. And the only other time that I could not do that is, <laughs> I seen, I think I forgot to tell you this. <laughs> I was wife number four. I was wife number five. He was still married to wife number four. He didn't tell me. What happened to the other wife? She, he left her. He left her in one state to move to the state that I lived in to take over that church. And, but and what, about the three, what about the three previous wives? They're all alive and well. He did the exact same thing to them. See what I mean? Yep. Yep. Mm. Yeah. That's what I thought. Absolutely. Yep. I was wife number five. And so I had to do work to get that marriage annulled. So I had to represent myself on that up to the point where you can only go so far before they say, okay, a legal attorney has got to do this. And so I went through one of those agencies where they, they help you. And I told the attorney, I was like, look, you don't have to do anything. Here's your entire case. I filled out all the paperwork. I filed every document. I made every motion. I did it all. And so when she went in there and uh, she was like, you should really go to law school. She was like, the judge asked for nothing. 
he just signed the paper. I was like, I told you I did everything for you. Or you had to, I just needed somebody that had attorney behind their name. I couldn't go. So I just sat outside and waited till she came out. She was like, okay, you're free. You got your last name back. I was like, thank you. And that was a happy day. <laughs> that, my friend, was a happy day. So that has been the journey of JoJo and crazy. That's why I know crazy up close and personal. And that was the end of that chapter. Now you yeah. ended up going on to somewhere else, which I will not name. Yeah. Uh, and you ended, and that was holy shit. I mean, for anyone again, Wes, I'm gonna post your question up. Uh, for anyone else who has questions about that entire process, go ahead. Very dark. Don't really want to navigate through any of that disgusting malice of <laughs> ooh creature, huh? A damn preacher. I'm telling you, man. Joe, man, this is a movie. Like, like yeah. I, I tell people, I'm a lifetime movie, and they they think I'm. And in book one, people thought I made this up. They thought I was like, no, this is this was real life. I didn't make any of this up. Right. This isn't no fiction. This is not fictional whatsoever. I'm just, oh my god. And so then it was you literally taking sole responsibility, and I mm -hmm. love it because. You ended up saying you're not slow. Yes. Now, remember, going back to the affirmations that he made you repeat out loud, these were all negative affirmations to yes. program your subconscious mind into believing that yes. you're not good. Yes. But then you had that moment of awakening saying, you know what? I'm not slow. You <laughs> learned everything. You won the case. And this was a completely, this, this changed the entire trajectory of your yes. life forever. Um. You know, so let me let, let me hurry up and post Wes uh, his comment up, and then we're gonna start diving okay. into things that could be very actionable for people. So he said, "Can you explain why you didn't reach out to those you knew would help, and why women dealing with this issue today may can or can gather enough courage to get out of that?" So that's obviously you know a really good question for the end of the podcast. But um, um, you know. When he asked, why didn't you reach out to anyone else you knew that would help, this kind of this, this is kind of the story of a, a girl who I had brought onto the podcast last year named Bria. Bria went through an immense amount of abuse too during college, and she had the ability to put away that man forever, but she didn't. She's like, you know what? He comes from this background. I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to get him help. He ended up changing his life forever, right? And so... Again, Jojo, going back to you, you had, you know, the lady over there on the porch, maybe that was something saying, nah, maybe I don't want to reach out to someone. Wes, again, maybe being over there, you know, you have a lot of other wonderful people who have commented. Um, what made you not reach out? Is it the fact that because during abuse, they make you feel so minute that you are in survivable on your own is that what it was it, it was it was a combination so you have that you have depression you have low self-esteem because all of that is all now one big ball of everything so as a, a victim my mindset is his mindset i'm no longer jojo i am him and any lady who's yeah. been abused would tell you you think his thoughts before you think your own so yeah. one thing he told me he said, if you ever leave me, and if you ever tell anybody, I will hunt you down and I will kill you. I will never stop 
looking for you until I find you and I kill you. And you believe that to your soul. Like you don't, you don't ever question an abuser because you know they will make good on that promise. One thing they don't do is threaten you and not live. They don't follow that up. And I knew the pain and I knew that, but, and add that and then think in his mindset, you have the shame because before they hit you, they have control of your mind. I don't want to embarrass him. He's been pastoring for 30 years. I was like, oh my God, I don't want to mess up his, his, I don't want to mess up his, his career. He's been doing this for 30 years. And I'm thinking about him and never thinking about me. And then you have to think, well, the, here comes the embarrassment. My mama told me to, my mama told me not to do this. Everybody saw me get married to this man. And I got to deal with all of that stigma on top of this and deal with the fact like, is this really happening? Because they are so good. They can make you think that what's happening is not really happening. Like, and yeah. if it is happening, it's all your fault. Now, I wasn't a slow girl. I was the president of my senior class. I graduated with honors. I got two degrees. I wasn't slow by any means. But when he took over my mind, it was a whole different story. And so for any woman, well, I'll save that answer for, for at the end of the show. But it, it is a hard transition for you um, to reach out because you are him. And he, you're no longer yourself. And if you have that one free second of where you say you're not crazy, like I'm, I'm not ashamed that for two years I didn't take a bath. I, when I was allowed in the shower, I didn't take a bath. I stood in the shower. There was a window in our shower. And I would just say, I know I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. I know I'm not crazy. And I would just chant that over and over till he said, hey, you've been in there long enough. And then I would get out. And that, sometimes you just need that that tenth of a percent that says you're not crazy you can really and i think that was the only thing that kept me sane because i was determined to want either kill myself or kill myself or he was going to kill me those are the only options and you don't think you have any like there are no and there are no options and then after you leave you gotta realize i have a baby i haven't touched so i have postpartum depression because she's crying I'm crying and everybody's like, Jojo, hold your baby. I haven't held her. Why would, why would I want, I have no mother daughter connection to this child. So I'm depressed. I'm sad. My family's still 300 miles away. I'm living with church members. I'm feeling judged by everybody around me. And it took me seven months before I would even turn on the light in a bathroom to look at myself in the mirror. When I went in the bathroom, I wouldn't even turn in the mirror. I wouldn't even look in the mirror. I would wash my face. And I tell anybody, we celebrate day ones. We don't celebrate one day. If today I got up and I brushed my teeth, I said, I was excited. Jojo, you know what you did good. You brushed your teeth today. Tomorrow you'll do more. And I stayed in the bed. And then, you know, slowly I would do more. I would take the kids to school. I would hold them. If it wasn't for the lady that I lived with who bathed my child, who fed her, who took care of her, I, I, have, I have no idea. And I had to pull them and it was, that's why I'm a big fan of quotes and motivations. It was replacing the negative with the positive that pulled me out of that to keep going. That you made a conscious decision to say, you know, and, and again, you having that shower moment and looking yeah. at the window and say, you know, you're not crazy. You know, you're not crazy. So there's a lot of, obviously he destroyed you mentally to the point where you had so much inner conflict that 
again, looking in the mirror was even hard for you. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of people have inner conflict with a variety of different things out there in the Mm. world, but you know, you to the point where you're so dependent on him that you're like, wow, there's no way I'm trapped here forever. It's kind of like Mm -hmm. a lot of things like, you know, child slavery and all that, that happens in a lot of, you know, different parts of the world. So Mm -hmm. you, for that quick moment, you said, I am enough. I am going to take this step out. You left. And that was the beginning of you. So I mean, well, we're talking 04, 05, and then mm-hmm. fast forward into what's happened, well, you know, for the next decade and a half, yeah. <laughs> what, were, what were some of the steps? Because a lot of people, I don't know, on my podcast, some people who might view this on YouTube, they probably have heard something like this. They're probably going through something like this. They probably know someone who's going through something like this. From that moment forward, when you won the case and you were now detached, I'm talking about all that posting sign shit, you know, Mm -hmm. hey, happy birthday to the kids, all of that's gone. Okay, now it's the new life. Okay, you got past crazy. So what did you start doing to rekindle that inner, you know, start focusing on that inner work? Um, I... I'm a firm believer that if you know what you don't want, you're in a perfect place to figure out what it is that you do that you do want. I knew that I didn't want any part of that life, that mindset anymore. So I set out every day to do something every single day, even if it was just for a few seconds to put my mind in a different space. I started reading different books uh, on motivation. And that's when I find the quote, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do by John Wooten. And I was like, Jojo, if you can just focus on what you can do, that's all that matters. Everything else is gonna take care of itself. I went back, I got my master's, my PhD. Now, mind you, doing all of this, I was still picking up pennies on the street to feed the kids. Because I would go to the place with Jesus with Love Store. And for $3, you could get inside whatever you could carry, you could have. And I would put book bags on the front and back of me, the oldest front and back. And I'd take the door, the baby in a big old stroller. And so whatever you could physically carry, you could have. And that's how I fed us for at least a little over a year. And I just did. I knew that this wasn't it. Like I knew I left and I knew there was a different way to be. And that was the only thing that kept me focused. Like the distraction is going to come. Yes, the lights are off, Jojo. But your end result is you're going to do this. Yes, I'm I'm getting gas out of my lawnmower to put in my car to go to work. And I'm still driving that red neon, by the way. It took me years to get rid of that red neon. <laughs> I had that neon fixed. Um, but it, it was, and I did it, you know, every day, step by step, just showing up. And then when I had that bad day, I allowed myself to have that bad day. Okay, Georgia, you, you having a bad day, go to bed. But tomorrow, you can't stay here. Tomorrow, you got to get up and do something different. So you, you do all the feels, you feel it, you be angry, you be mad, you be upset. You just don't live in it. You can't, you can't stay there. And so every day, I push myself and then you got to realize I got two girls looking at me. My family is still, you know, away from me. I decided to stay in the city. I was like, I refuse to run anymore. Damn it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And every day it was step by step by step. So I I say there's five keys to live past crazy. Number one, you got to have that. You got to be quiet, right? If you've been in any kind of situation, been a rock between a hard place, 
people always got their opinions. They got something to say. You need to be quiet for yourself. Like sit down and be quiet and just listen to your thoughts. You have the answer. You're just nervous to hear it because you don't know what the hell is going on. So be quiet. Mm -hmm. Number two is write it down. Jojo, what is it that you want to do? Where is it that you want to go? And then number three, every day work on that and celebrate those day ones, like every single day. And then I developed a mantra. I found words and quotes that motivated me. Uh, and when I'm having a bad day to this day, uh, I carry, look, here you go. I have a mirror here. And when I'm having a bad day, I open up my mirror and I say, I look good. I feel good. I am good. And if I'm at work, mm. I go do it at work. Wherever I am, and I'm having that day where I feel like, you know, it's just not going right. And I can't go to sleep because I'll go to sleep and restart the day. Uh, you can do that anytime you want. Um, mm. I will take out my mirror and I will say my little mantra. I look good. I feel good. I am good. And that kind of puts me back in the mindset like, yes, Jojo, you can do this. And then I celebrate. I was like, damn it, Jojo, you did it. You today, yeah, you did it today. And I clap my, you know, I give myself a hand clap and you get to start over every single day. We get to begin again. We go as far as we can go to go as far as we can go to go as far as we can go. But you got to go. You ain't going to go standing there. So um, mm. we you just got to keep moving. Wow. You know, well, real quick, two quick recommendations for people in terms of what, um, you know, JoJo's saying. Eric Thomas, he's one of my favorite uh, folks out there, the hip hop preacher. If you guys yeah. are unaware of him, check him out, please. Yeah. And another great cue in terms of what, she, um, you know, JoJo's talking about these these nice little cues and things that she does every day. Uh, a really uh, quick audio book you can find online is by Brenda Bruchard called The High Performance Habits. Uh, that is phenomenal. These little cues that she does every day, kind of like, okay, all right, so today I have a long day of teaching ahead. I have a couple of consultations. How can I do this better? And then rate myself at the end of the night. But JoJo, going back to your story, how did you... Like, we're talking 05 to 2010. YouTube was inceptic maybe back in 08, 09. That's when people started getting a hold of it. So you didn't have Eric Thomas. You didn't have all these people. You probably had Les Brown on VHS, maybe a little Tony Robbins, you know, here and there. So how did you do it? Like, what were the things from the beginning? Like, like I don't know, because, again, looking back at it, it's easy now. It's yes, easy. It's, it's very easy to find anything now, but yeah. now, I mean, back then, oh, it was oh, hard. man. I, I had I had Les, and I didn't even know who Les Brown was. Please understand, I didn't even know who Les Brown, Tony Brown, I didn't know Tony Robbins at. I knew none of these people. And mind you, let's stick in religion, because let's not forget I was married to a pastor. I was mad at God. I was not going to church. I was not reading the Bible. That was out. You wasn't fixing to get me to do that. And so I only, I really only had myself to rely on. And I read a book and this book didn't come about to years later, but The Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers, that helped me out a lot. But I would just read little quotes and I kept my mind busy on positive things. And so now I'm really quick with it. Like when I feel myself think a negative thought, I can replace it really quickly. Back then I wasn't that fast at replacing it. And so I have sticky, I used to put sticky notes everywhere. It's okay, you're gonna be good. 
you you're smart you can do this and i would literally talk to myself out loud like when the kids went to bed i would have my moment where i would cry whatever it's like this is hard and i would cry and i would get back up and i would start i was like okay jojo you know what and here's and here this is it's very plain for me but did you die though that's my final question to everybody did you die though yes it's hard but did you die if the answer is no get your ass up and do it again try again and and that's how i had to say it to myself yes jojo it's hard no you don't have a babysitter for the lights are off there's no gas there's no water but you have class tonight somehow some way you're going to class tonight you will get this master's degree you will get a better job you're not dying jojo so everything else is easy and that's how I had to look mm, at it um, yeah. all the time because else I would have stopped. I, I would have stopped. So I was like, you didn't die. He didn't kill you. So there's no other options but to keep going. Like there's nothing else on the table to discuss. And you know, and to be honest with you, coming from your situation, everything else is easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the masters, what the power cut off to hell with all of that. You survived the behemoth of a monster. Yes. You know what I mean? You survived yep. the, the worst of the humans. I'm talking like pure evil. And yes. so all of this, you are probably like, this ain't a damn thing. So, you this? know, <laughs> Wes said something very funny. He said, I look good. Let me hurry up. Uh, he, let's just say I feel good. But I look good. I feel good. I am good. He said, when you say it, it's empowering, but when he <laughs> says it, he says it. I love you, Wesley. Be conceited, boo. Be conceited. <laughs> I'm saying, like, uh, it's all based on perspective, right? Yes, yes. It's kind of like me. And again, no, I don't have a story like you. Obviously, well, and I'm, you know, with all respect, and I'm grateful for the entire process of living out here, but... You could only imagine me being here in Thailand and hearing the ew, black man, low class, pimp, black people are terrible, black people stink, no black teachers, no, we don't like black people. You know what I mean? This was engraved in a lot of Asian countries in general, especially the Japan, yes. the Korea, China, the Singapore, you know, the, the Vietnam. And so you can only imagine what that could do to someone like me who also was abandoned by his family because I went after what was mine in the universe. Mm -hmm. But again, I said, Arsenio, no more victim talk. Yep. And when you took that step, which was one of the most significant steps in all of humanity to take control of your life, that was when I took that step, January 3rd, 2016. And we could remember these days because these were the turning points. Yes. When you were trying to commit suicide and then when you ended up running away, these were the turning points. When you, yes. you, when you won the court case and you got full custody, these yes. were all get turning points and then you started building up that momentum yes. you know when i did my podcast and i'm like oh hell yeah i'm a podcaster now and you're like oh yeah i'm free you yes. know you were free. i am free yes um and again you know with west saying this is you know and a lot of people were just at the very you know when you were telling your story it's tragic but at the same time what you know if you now being an author and writing all these books which is amazing and stuff too so uh you what was it that you said you know what when, when was the point where you said i've been through this 
but there are other people who are going through this. I need to do something that can help these people. When did you make that decision and what did you start doing then? It, it, I made that decision um, in 2011. Um, uh, I was working, I had worked my way, I had moved, I had worked my way up. And let me tell you, in, in October 2010 was another turning point. I had lost my job because, you know, the economy had crashed. I lost my job. I had no money again, right? I still have two kids. <laughs> and I cash in my 401k. I put everything I own in storage and I pack up my children and I move again <laughs> to a place where mm. I know no one. I know absolutely no one. And I was like, JoJo, you're crazy. And I was like, well, no, nah, you know, that's relative. You're not crazy. You're just stepping out on faith. And so I'm, I'm in this new place and I'm, I've been in this place a year and I feel like I'm not fulfilled with any, you know, I love my job, but I'm just not fulfilled. And a lady comes in and she um, is working for an agency. She says, hey, um, I, I want to come in, bring some girls in to work here. And I was the hiring, I was the HR manager. And I was like, oh, okay. So she told me about the organization she worked for. And I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't think anything after she left. I was sitting there thinking like, wow, I remember when I was on welfare, because I was on welfare too. And I was trying to get back in, get, get a job. I had no clothes. Like, I want you to understand, I'm sitting there to the point of no clothes. I had three shirts and two pairs of pants. I washed our clothes in the bathtub every night and hunt, turned the heat on even in the summertime to dry our clothes. That That's what I had. Like when I say I had nothing, I had a bed. We all slept in one bed and I had one chair in my home. Somebody gifted me the, my refrigerator. That's all I had in my house. So when she was saying she was helping those girls who were coming off welfare, I was like, I know what that's like. So after she leaves, I'm sitting, it had to be 20 minutes. I was like, well, Jojo, why don't you help them? You kind of know what to do. You went through the process. I ran, I had to go find, like I worked at a major hospital. It took me another 10 minutes to get to the front door to try to, all I knew was her first thing, to try to find this lady in the parking lot to find her to say, um, if you're ever looking for any, now, mind you, I have never spoke a day in my life to this point. I said, if you ever need somebody to come speak to these ladies, I'll be happy to. She was like, oh, okay, thank you. I never, I thought she's never going to call me. She emailed me like two days later. She was like, hey, can you come? I call out a sick at work. I can't afford any days off. <laughs> I call out a sick at work and I get to this place and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I'm about to pee in my pants. Like, why did I even volunteer to do this, JoJo? You don't know what to say. And I open up the Bible and I open up to the part. It says, if you open up your mouth, I've already put the words in your mouth for you to say. And I was like, oh, okay. And I shut the Bible and I go in and I open up my mouth and the words just fall out. And it's a group of um, young ladies, 18, 19, all of them. I didn't know. I just knew they were coming off welfare. All of them had been in an abusive relationship. Every last one of them. And it was about 13, 13 young girls in there. I leave there, one young girl, and I told them when I left, I said, I just want you to do something different every day. I don't care if you just stop cussing or whatever it is that you want to give up. 
do it for one minute to two minutes a day and write it down. And what you'll find is 30 days from now, you will have a journal of notes to yourself of your progression. And you'll be proud of yourself if you write it down and follow it. She called me and said this girl wanted to pay, you know, pass along a message. And she said, because of you, I left my abusive boyfriend. I knew he was going to kill me. I cried like a baby. And that's when, I, and I have a quote that I live by. Um, someone is waiting to hear my voice and they will not move until I move. So it's not an option for me not to say anything anymore. I can't keep it to myself because there's a sister and or brother out there who needs to hear, this is crazy, but I promise that there's life after crazy. So it was just taking that step and, and talking to that lady and that one girl just telling me one thing that she did to let me know. And so when I'm having those days where I don't want to do it, Arsenio, I remember that. I, I don't even know the little girl's name. I just remember her and what she told me. And I was like, you know what? Somebody's waiting to hear my voice. Like somebody's waiting to hear your voice. They're not going to do anything until Arsenio does it first so that they know it can be done. Yeah. <sighs> just live it, you know? Yeah. And this is why, this is why I think there's, a, there's an inner coach in everyone that needs to be that mm -hmm. outer coach because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't understand that a lot of things could be unrelatable and they could fall on our ears and we're like easy for you to say but you <laughs> haven't been through it mm -hmm. it relates a heck of, it, it packs a much more powerful punch than anything else you know as opposed to someone else who's never been through it mm -hmm. you you know what i mean so Wow, that that moment you again can't afford to take off work, but you said something's telling me to do this right yeah. now. And yeah. you had that conscious awareness to say, yeah. "All right, I'm gonna go do this," and that was the beginning. That's when you found a purpose. Now, yes. uh, again, a lot of people like Wesley Chapman. He's like, "I don't want my organization to be around for so long because it has such a dark meaning to it." He's helping mm -hmm. people who have also been through child abuse, such as what mm -hmm. he had gone through. Um, but now, you know, you writing a book and doing all of these amazing things, like you turned it all around. You are a quintessential, a lot of people would say, wow, how were you able to go from here to there? Mm -hmm. It's the baby steps. That's what the you outlined, steps. doing the little things and reprogramming yeah. your mind. And again, you know, back in 05 and you make it that big drastic turning point back in 2011 then 2012. Yes. So what about today? Like a lot of people might say, okay, we got the past, we got the afterlife and now what you're doing now, like yeah. people probably want to know what you're like up to right now. So what is it? What Like what's the overall purpose now? So the overall purpose now is to um, be my sister's keeper. Um, Thank you, Trenda, is to be my sister's keeper. <laughs> I'm, I'm a firm believer that if I can help one sister who can take that information to her family, who will then take it to the community, we will change the world. One sister, one brother at a time. It's that easy. We seem to make it real complicated, but it's extremely easy. But for right now, what JoJo is learning is that I had to grow inside of myself to accept more of my abundance. And I shared a quote, I shared my journal entry from April the 30th, you know, and it's my question to myself at 530 in the morning was, Jojo, why are you okay with this darkness? Why are you okay 
with living in lack. And my answer to myself was because I was afraid of the brightness of my light. And some of us are so afraid of the brightness of our light. And I said, you've probably been there where your family looks at you and they say, who, who, who do you think you are? Or your friends say, why in the, like, Jojo, you really think? And so we dim our light to For help you know, other people accept who we are when that's never our purpose. So I can't say I want abundance and practice lack at the same time. And so now I'm growing inside of myself to make room for the abundance that is coming. So now I can say, I accept all the abundance. It is mine. My mindset is yes, I will take all the blessings and I'm making room for them all around me. Uh, so next steps is, you know, just to grow that we, we have the sister rise retreat that is coming up in October. Um, I'm going to be on the own network soon. We had to stop. We couldn't do filming, of course, because of COVID. But um, we have the Oprah Winfrey. Net. And the funny part is, I sent when I wrote book one, I stopped Oprah's editor and I mailed her copies of my books. And I was like, Lord, please let Oprah read my books. Oprah didn't read none of my books. I sent her. She read none of them. But that's okay. Oprah Winfrey Network called me. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that matters. Right. We get to that place when we allow room for our abundance and we don't we don't push it away. And, and if you're if you love ET, then you also love um Grant Cardone. He said you're doing more damage That's by living small than you are by living great. So the more I try not to live true to who Jojo is, the more damage I'm doing to everybody around me. So I've got to live great. I got to live in abundance so that Absolutely. I can help someone else so it, it's, it's an amazing oh, journey i'm excited about this part of the journey uh, right right and it took a it took a lot again us starting off the way we started off you know the yes. was a really dark mode but now looking yes. at the other side oh my god who was it i saw that in a book i forgot what book it was but again it was a speech from no i found out the author's name and it was that of coach carter and it was the guy, the Puerto Rican guy that says, it's the light, not the darkness that mm. we're most afraid of. Yes. Us getting out of that box and, mm. you know, end up being the 100% unequivocal person that we were placed mm. on this planet to be. Yes. That's what scares the hell out of us because there yeah, are yeah. only a half percent of the population who's done so. And they have made the most powerful impact in the world mm -hmm. we already know about the, the greatest you know the greatest iconic african-american mm -hmm. figures of our time back in the 20th century 19th century yeah. 18th century um but that's when you say okay this life is no longer about me it's about the people who i need to help yeah. because people are out there that need help and yeah. that's exactly you know me having a byproduct of a you know a podcast and now you know, checking out other niche markets and now other things are starting to magnify and whatnot. So, oh my God. Oh, it's been Man, you know, I, I love what Wes said. I'm going to hurry up and pop this on the screen. He said, when you are willing to get down on the level of a broken person and can relate to their heartache and you can leave, well, then you can ultimately lead them out to a darker place. That mm -hmm. means empathy. And I think mm -hmm. this is, this is something that, you know, a lot of us have to learn because again, obviously we had our conversation about what's happening in America right now. Yes. <laughs> there's, a lack of, 
just a lack of empathy. Yes. You know, people don't want to, okay, let me see it from this side with you and look at the event. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. See, that's something that a lot of people can begin building up right now. So again, you gave a lot of pointers, uh, Jojo, but what is the, what is that thing that you want to leave? So anyone who's listening to this on the podcast, I'm going to put all Jojo's links in. Again, if I had the physical book, uh, we'll figure out the whole book I'll send you one, Arsenio. I got you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to have to buy one too because I want to send it out to someone who says, hey, I want that book too. Hey, guys, <laughs> please, if you want to re- uh, uh, reach out to me at any time, reach out to JoJo. Again, if you're yeah. one of those people or know someone who has been through or going through the same situation, please feel free to uh, reach out. So, JoJo, what's that last, what, what's that? Ooh, we went through a lot. What is that message you want to leave with these folks? So uh, we have, on the Fearless Morning Show, uh, we've been talking about that we're in the NBA playoffs. We are in the championship. And there are only teams in this whole world, Arsenio. You have team abundance and team lack. And every day you get to choose which team you're going to play for. But over here on team abundance, we have certain rules and regulations. We will be excellent. We will be proficient. We will not stop. We will execute. We will play and we will win. And so today I invite everybody over to team abundance. Team lack, you've already, you know what that game is like. You know what's over there. You know what's, there's some professional people over there on team lack. But over here on Team Abundance, we have a different mindset. We are replacing our negative with our positive. And like today, we talked about you got to um, you got to you you got to have a sacrifice. Like what is going to be your routine and your sacrifice? And are you worth that sacrifice? And for every action is an opposite and equal reaction. And so today, if just just for the day and if you were like me, you couldn't even take a whole day at a time. You can only take it second by second. I didn't need a whole lot of information because I, I didn't care. I didn't want you to pray for me. I didn't want you to tell me, oh, Jesus, be a fence. I needed somebody to tell me what to do. So today, just for this one second, I double dog dare you to think that you could be amazing. I don't want you to close your, your mind to an idea simply because it's miraculous. You are the miracle it was supposed to be. It came to you for a reason. Know that you're amazing and that you're qualified to be exceptional. Here on Team Abundance, you're qualified to be exceptional. You can have miraculous ideas. You absolutely can make them happen. And we have a game plan. And that game plan, boo, is to show up every day. If you show up every day, you will win the championship. And if if you're a Tar Heel fan like me, I'm cutting the net. I'm hanging a jersey from the rafters. Waddell number 16 is going to be up there. So welcome to the team. Just, just for this one second. And that's all it takes is one second of a positive thought. And I promise what will happen, here goes some brain science, and then I'm done, Arsenio, is that your habits and your thought processes are simply thoughts that you have every day. So if your behavior is simply a series of thoughts, then if you could think a different thought for the next 90 days, So every 90 days, your body creates a new you. So if you could start today and 90 days from the day, you've had a new thought every 90 days, you have effectively created a new you. So we have no excuses just for the day, just for this second. Be miraculous. You're qualified to be exceptional. 
I will say no more. JoJo, man, that was one of the best edits of any podcast in the world. I'm not going to say anything else, but I will give shout out to all your beautiful people. Carrie, Wes, Trenda, uh, thank you so much. Lake, I hope I pronounced your name right. And one of my friends, Kanjana. You guys, thank you so much for, con- uh, you. you know, again, comments and, and whatnot. Again, we're going to be listening to your feedback. If you would like us to come on and talk about a lot of things, that JoJo has just mentioned, uh, I'd be more than happy to, because again, me getting into transformation and life coaching at the end of the year and the next year, there are yeah. so many things about the mind. And again, mm-hmm. JoJo, you are a, a, an amazing representation that it is possible. And yes. so going through so much of that dark and having all those emotions and mm-hmm. then seeing what you could ultimately become, that's it. Begin with the end in mind. So, yes. guys, again, thank you so much, Jojo, and thank you for coming thank on. You. I had a great time. And if anybody has any questions, uh, there's not a question I haven't heard or a question I have not asked myself. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> I will answer them. For anyone who's listening to this on the podcast, her yes. link is in the description. Her yes. links are everywhere. Her Facebook page, you name it, it's going to be in the, in the description. So make sure you reach out to her or reach out to us. If there's something that both you, well, that you would like that both her and I can answer, we'll be more than happy to do another one. Yes. So with that being said, guys, thanks for tuning in.